Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is KJ and Jessica's here as well. And Mm -hmm. today we have a guest, Matt Erickson. He is here to talk to us all about the connection between mental health and money. So Matt and I used to work together and he has taught me so much over the years about finances. So I'm super excited to pick his brain a bit. So Matt, can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, thank you, KJ and Jessica. It's great to be on your show. And I really enjoy your podcast and I'm a big fan. So it's great to be here. So yeah, my name is Matt Erickson and I am a mental health therapist. Like KJ said, we used to work together. I still work at that place, but she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I am a therapist who works with adolescents And the money part of things comes more from a hobby or just passion place. It's not a professional place. So I do a podcast called Simple Money, Simple Life that I just started a little while ago. So I've been enjoying that. And I'm just kind of a personal hobbyist when it comes to finance. And I love kind of the blending of mental health and money. So yeah, it's good to be here. Awesome. Well, I mean, for just doing it as a hobby, you're very good at it because I've taken some of your, well, a lot of your advice and it has really paid off for me. So I think you're a millionaire now, right? Yeah. (laughs) My 401k is not too shabby. Thanks to Matt. Nice. Yes. So Matt Can you just tell us maybe initially, like what intrigues you the most about the connection between mental health and money? Sure. So over the years, I've just noticed that money plays a big part in our overall life. It helps us to reach our goals, reach our dreams, helps us have experiences, but, and it's a tool that can help us achieve things in life and, and be able to do things that we want to do. However, I've also noticed that money can be um, a source of great stress or conflict. I've seen that money can really affect marriages and really kind of hurt relationships. And I've also seen where money handled properly can do beautiful things, both for one individually and for a couple and also for a community in the world. So I just see money as a, as a really awesome tool to help people experience things in life that that are amazing to them and that bring them value. So I've also seen that no matter kind of how much a person makes and how that person, the most important thing is how that person manages the money. So for example, if a person makes a lot of money, I've noticed many people who make a lot, but spend everything they make and save nothing. And eventually, I think that leads to a lot of stress and lower self-esteem and just not very much happiness and fulfillment. But 
somebody could be making a lower wage. And if they're prudent with their money, they learn how to save their money, invest their money. It can give them a lot of peace and also an awesome future. I'm like, sign me up. I want to use my money to give myself a better future. (laughs) Done and done. I think that connection is really key. And I think a lot of people, at least maybe I'm just guessing, but figure that out maybe later than would be beneficial for them. Mm -hmm. And what I'm kind of seeing in my generation right now is a lot of keeping up with the Joneses. And kind of these like expectations that at a certain age you need to have this big of a house or this new of a car. And like you said, I think that can lead to a lot of stress if people are spending outside of what they're making. And it's all really connected in relationships and mental health. And so I think that's super important for people to tune into and just recognize their habits. It really is. So you brought up some really good points there, KJ. So keeping up with the Joneses is a real phenomenon that happens. One thing I discuss in my podcast a lot is, so when someone moves to a neighborhood with a really nice house, often that person will feel a lot of pressure to do what his or her neighbors are doing. It might be to buy a boat. It might be to buy a nicer car dress your kids in nicer clothes, do all of these things to try to keep up that image of what everybody else is doing around you. For instance, I just moved and everyone had Christmas decor on the outside of their house. Oh yeah. And I literally was like, we all just bought these houses like how, cause it's a new build. I was like, how are you guys affording this? So that was like my own personal from last month. I was like, right. I'm already behind the Joneses. Cool. Thanks guys. Yeah, and it's it can be something as simple as Christmas lights or anything. So I think it's really good and wise for any person of any age to figure out really what their values are around money and decide really what makes you happy and what doesn't. So I think a lot of people fall into a trap of spending money based on image, perception, status, or feeling different emotions and using money to kind of help uh, help yourself kind of cope with those emotions. So once you kind of know where you're at and what you really value, then I think it's really wise to have your spending align with your values because like, for example, cars have never been overly important to me. KJ, you know that I drive old cars and I may or may not wear it as a badge of honor at times, but I have not put a lot of money into cars. I've chosen to drive older cars and invest the money instead. So that's hard for a lot of people, I think, to drive an older vehicle. And they would rather have an expensive car. The average new car payment nowadays is between five and $600 a month. The financing is stretching out longer and longer. And so if you take a person that spends that $564 a month and you simply invest that in a simple, basic way, that invested over a lifetime is over a million dollars. So these simple choices that we see in life where we are trying to keep up with someone else or pat our own ego can really cost us in the end when just making a few basic, simple choices that 
are really more in line with our values can really set us up for the future. So do you think some of those patterns that we see in people stem from family of origin typically and like how people are raised? I think a lot of what we do goes back to our childhood issues or trauma or how we were raised. For example, I've seen a lot of situations where kids who are raised in a lower income household or where their parents fought about money a lot or struggled with money really feel this huge need to kind of go to the opposite extreme and go to a point where they prove to the world that they've made it and they've arrived. And so they start to to make some of those extreme purchases to kind of prove that to themselves or to prove that to, to other people. And because money is kind of a, it's a powerful tool that can really kind of send a lot of messages to people. So I see that a lot. Like I grew up in a home where there were six kids and my dad was a teacher and we installed sprinkler systems in the summertime to add some extra money. And money was kind of tight, but one thing my parents did a great job of that I think has helped me in my adult life is they did not fight over money. They budgeted, they stuck to their plan. They didn't go into deep debt. They valued the peace that comes from living within your means. And so I kind of grew up with good role models that has, they, they drove old cars. They didn't necessarily value image that much. And so for me, it was a positive example of of that and I've been able to incorporate some of those lessons into my adult life and I but I think the opposite happens with a lot of people too where and the one thing I get concerned about you guys is sometimes I see there's so many beautiful big McMansion type homes where we live all these nice homes with filled with beautiful cars and I think about the children being raised in those homes and it's it sets quite a high expectation for how they expect yeah. to live. And I, I try not to judge those people because most of them are great people and they've worked hard to get what they have and I don't fault them for that. But I I worry what impact that might have on the kids and the pressure they might feel to maintain that same status as they go into adulthood and get married. And it's kind of scary in some ways. It's a hard I mean, most of those people have gotten, have been fortunate, maybe gotten lucky, have worked really hard, probably taken years to get there. And sometimes we or the younger generation expects to get it pretty immediately. Or you just like feel bad about yourself because you aren't where your parents were. And so Mm. you're like, just then you have like a shame cycle within yourself of, okay, well now I'm going to go into debt or something to get it right. Because I don't have it instantaneously. So I have to find a way which is going to yeah cause major problems, you know. Yeah, that's a good point, Jessica. I think if you think about debt and kind of how it ties into our emotional world, it's cuz if you look at the average debt numbers, the average credit card holder in America, it's over $6,000 in debt, the average car payment is $550, uh, average mortgage is high. So if you add all those together for a typical family or a typical couple, that can be pretty overwhelming and debt kind of boils down to needing something now instead of being willing to be patient and wait and save. My grandparents were awesome examples of never having any debt and always preaching 
if you can't afford it, don't buy it. And they lived a simple, peaceful life. And they, they left some money to, to my mom because of their frugal habits. And so debt is kind of a scary thing because it, it's kind of been normalized in our society. And it's so easy nowadays to buy things on Amazon and credit cards and everything. So one tool that I think is super important is just to learn to be mindful of spending money and be able to pause and think and consider, discuss before we just automatically buy. And it's important to stay organized too and to think about kind of where we're at. And a lot of people, I think, bury their head in the sand and don't really, aren't really willing to look at their financial picture and see where they stand. Because when we do that, we're able to kind of decide, okay, I need to sacrifice some things so I can dig out of this hole and feel better. Yeah, I think that immediate gratification piece is so big with credit cards. And like you said, Amazon, um, it's that add to cart is so easy now with our smartphones. We can just swipe up with whatever influencer is showing us that we, we might want and then we add that to cart immediately and we get that hit of dopamine because we're getting something new and we like crave novelty um, and then that wears off really quick and we're in debt. Um, something I have heard on like some financial accounts I follow is to try just spending one day a week. So like you get your gas, you get your groceries, you get whatever you need for the house on a certain day each week, and then you don't spend anything else the rest of the week. And I've found that that has really helped me kind of curb those impulse buys because I'll maybe put something in my Amazon cart, but it's not a spend day. So then I sit on that for six days and maybe when it comes to the day I'm going to buy everything, I I'm like, oh, I don't actually need that anymore. And so it's kind of like retraining our brain to not just immediately get what we want with our money. We just have to let it sit for a while. Which is the same as like retraining your mind to allow yourself to just like sit in unpleasant emotions. And, you know, it's like it's so connected. The like I'm going to spend because it makes me feel good is so connected to that same I'm going to shove down my hard feelings and pretend they don't exist, you know. But it's like you have to learn that life is both and it's okay to not get what you need right now. And and it's not even not what you need. It's okay to not get what you want right now and just wait a minute, you know. Yeah, it's so true. It's I think I've heard of I've met people and read about people who feel anxious when they're not waiting for an Amazon package. In other words, they kind of feel like they're always having to wait. They're they're always expecting an Amazon package. And if one isn't coming, it makes them feel anxious. So it's, it's interesting how our brain works and how we're wired and how we can develop habits that kind of lead us in that direction. So I love what you guys said. It's the, I've never tried to only spend on one day a week thing, but that's a really cool idea to really stop and pause and consider. I don't do Amazon Prime. I, If you spend $25 on Amazon, you get free shipping. 
and you have to kind of maneuver it a little bit. It will try to get you to pay for shipping, but you get free shipping. And so that helps me to, if I get something small, I put it in the cart or the list or whatever, and then wait until I have something else I need to go with it. And it kind of gives me that time to reflect and pause before I buy things. Mm-hmm. Which is better than the, I must buy more to get to $25. Yeah, that can work the other way too, <laughs> if, if used uh, improperly, for sure. <laughs> For sure. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Well, like the geniuses who are in marketing have really figured out the psychology behind spending because I feel like that's gotten me so many times where I'm buying something and I'm like, oh, well, if I spend five more dollars, then I get free shipping. But then I end up buying something that's $20 more and I would have spent way less just paying for shipping. I guess fascinating what marketing has it's changed the game with spending. Yeah. It's crazy. It's so true. And it's the same kind of tricks are used at certain department stores where if you spend fifty you get ten dollars cash back or come in on this special sale and you get thirty percent off when in reality their prices are elevated anyway and their sale price is just a normal price. There's all kinds of marketing tricks that people use that I don't know they're in my mind they're I don't like them (laughs) and if I see uh, stores or companies doing that I typically don't like to shop there very much yeah I think that that's a good point of like it kind of feels shady and like trying to take advantage which I mean everyone's trying to make money whatever but I think you get to choose with your dollars who you're supporting right and so you can be like well I actually don't like that you guys do that so I'm not going to shop there an easy switch go find someone there's a million other places that sell that product guaranteed absolutely well in this past year i feel like a lot of people may be addicted to online shopping because not a lot happening so it's happy to get something coming into the house and then you're around the house all the time so you're just like seeing what you need and you know Yeah, it's it's kind of a two-edged sword because on the one hand, it's made life really nice not to have to go to the store for everything. And so I think if we can learn to just be a mindful people and we can really get in touch with making sure we're spending according to our values and not according to our impulses or for a dopamine hit, online shopping can be a beautiful thing. Um, if I don't have to walk through Walmart, I'm a happy guy. So I like online shopping, but I think we we need to kind of know ourselves and what really works for us. Some people probably shouldn't do as much online shopping because they, they just overspend with it. It's just too much of a temptation. So learning to kind of know how you operate, I think, as a person is is really important in all of this. Yeah, like figuring out what your values are surrounding money, identifying if you fall more into the camp of being a spender or a saver, and then kind of understanding how that may play out throughout your lifetime or in your relationships. Um, I think that would be maybe something we, we should talk about is how money and mental health kind of collide in relationships, so specifically marital relationships I think that's kind of a common thing I've th- I've seen in therapy is when you have one spouse who is a spender and one spouse who's a saver 
or you have the spouse who's more of the maybe they're both spenders but you have one who's more of that impulse shopper and then you have the other one who's more of the doesn't buy a lot of impulse buys but will buy the big ticket items like as soon as the paycheck hits their account and so how can people kind of navigate some of that stuff in their relationships yeah that is really interesting because i think most people are either naturally a saver or a spender and i don't think that typically changes throughout one's life. I think we're naturally either a saver or a spender. And I think instead of trying to change ourselves to become the other one, it's good to put mechanisms in place to to help you. So if you're a, a natural saver and you just are too tight with money and you can't spend and enjoy it, to talk with your spouse, your partner, and figure out ways to maybe compromise on that and try to take a nice vacation or go to a nice dinner. And for someone who spends too much, I think it's awesome for them to be able to identify that and put some mechanisms in place, like kind of like we've been talking about to help. So that doesn't become a problem in the marriage. It really comes down to self-awareness and understanding kind of where we fit on that continuum of saver to spender. It also, I think it's important in a relationship to to understand each other and to have some level of acceptance for each other and not judge someone if they're a spender, but more discuss and process and talk together to find ways to make sure you stay on the same page about money. So like, for example, one thing I've seen in working with couples is sometimes couples will, one of the couples will spend and not tell the other one because they know they're going to get chastised or yeah. <laughs> or talked down to or lectured. And so they're, the uh, a vicious cycle develops where infi- a financial infidelity starts and it can leave some really deep wounds and scars that really can devastate a marriage. And so I think it's so important to communicate and to maybe have a weekly money meeting with your spouse where you sit down and discuss your goals and where you want your money to go and pre-plan where you want to spend your money instead of doing it impulsively. And to have patience with each other, it takes a couple of while to kind of figure out how to, to do that. Like I, I'm more of a natural saver. My wife's more of a natural spender. And we've over the years figured out how to kind of meet both of our needs. So I'm kind of in charge of saving in the 401k and a Roth IRA. She's not interested in that at all. Uh, she's glad I do it, but she's just not interested. It's not in her DNA to be interested. Nothing is going to change that. But she's really kind about allowing me to to do that and supporting that as long as you know I'm willing to go on a trip with her sometimes and do some fun things together. So it's just a, just like everything in marriage, it's, it's all about, first of all, self-awareness, knowing yourself, taking off the blinders and really looking at your own insecurities and your own issues and, and being accepting of, of your spouse or partner and really like um, accepting them for who they are. When you talked about financial infidelity, 
causing some deep wounds like that, that is so hard. And I think there's a reason we see that in our therapy offices often. There's a lot of shame surrounding money, like we've kind of talked about, and we just have to find ways to break that shame cycle. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice when people do have like those negative thought processes surrounding money on how to kind of like shift towards a positive view of money? Yeah, well, it's, I think those develop often, like we talked about kind of earlier in life as we kind of identify with money and, and, and we have role models with money. So it's, it's tough because there's so many people who, who struggle with that. And it's, it's hard to kind of break out of that and figure out, I think it's good to kind of go back to your family of origin issues and figure out where your money scripts come from. Like what, why do you feel like you have to hold on to every penny and not share any of it with anyone, for example, or why do you tend to overspend when you're feeling down? And just be willing to kind of look within and see kind of where those patterns or traits are coming from. But one thing that is so important in a, in a relationship is just like being willing to be open with each other. And like a lot of couples, even the ones who maybe been together a long time still often will keep things quiet and keep things hidden and buried instead of really like, choosing to be vulnerable and dropping their guard down and really talking about those kind of issues with each other and communicating with each other and opening up with each other. Um, it's, it's a key to, to marriage and it's a key to effective money management too. And because when that breaks down, I think people start to kind of go down their own paths. They separate from their mutual goals and then trouble happens. It takes it takes some repetition and some time and some practice and some mutual tolerance and patience to to kind of find your rhythm with each other when it comes mm -hmm. to money and and that part of your relationship. But hopefully, I mean, some couples obviously do the opposite where they just grow apart. And but hopefully, the idea is to to come together through those little conversations that you have throughout life where. You can really open up and be vulnerable and be willing to compromise and not be selfish and all those things that are so important to a good marriage. I think what can be really great with finances specifically is talking to a third party. So getting help with that in therapy or getting a financial advisor or listening to, you know, like podcasts or reading books together about these topics, because I think it can feel like a really big, overwhelming thing. And I think that's why people just pile on debt is because it feels too overwhelming. Um, but if you learn about it and learn how to do certain things or work on this stuff, then it doesn't have to feel so big. Yeah, that's I guess that is the kind of main reason I started a podcast is because I think money can be really simple. It's not easy, but it can be very simple. And the more simple we keep it, I think the more likely we are to have success. I think when we start to get multiple credit cards and we don't want to invest because it's too hard and too complicated and we 
just kind of have all these things we're trying to juggle, it can get very overwhelming, but it doesn't need to be. Money can be really simple, but it's also important, KG, like you said, to learn some of the basics through books, financial advisor, podcasts, whatever method kind of works best for you. I've loved to listen to podcasts and read books. I've learned so much about investing and personal finance by doing that. And it's kind of become a hobby of mine, but it's also helped me to know kind of where I want to go in our lives and what I want to save for and why it's important to me to save and invest because it's important to identify kind of what your why is and and what your dream together is. I think a lot of people are much more willing to save once they realize why, the why behind it. Like, I really want to be able to do this into the future. I really want to be able to give to our kids or our grandkids. I really want to be able to travel more when we get older. And I want to be able to retire younger. There's so many whys that we can come up with and dream about that help it be much easier to sacrifice some now so that we can have a beautiful tomorrow. The key to money management is figuring out what that deep reason is like what is this going to do for me how can I make my money work for me and then what do I need to do to get there so once you have that deep thing of like oh I want to be able to spend time with my family without working when I'm older okay that's a good reason to save and maybe not buy that thing from Amazon today you know so I love it I've loved all of this advice and one thing I'd like to add you guys is so I think Anything worth pursuing in life, if you think about the things that you guys have accomplished, that your audience has accomplished, that's worthwhile or valuable, it takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It takes time. So I think with our money and our mental health and our future dreams, it's, it's no different. So just being willing to accept that, hey, to be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish, I'm going to have to show self-discipline and patience, and I'm going to have to stop myself and learn positive habits to let my brain develop these positive habits so that I can do this. And I think once we get in that mindset and we start practicing those habits, I found that saving and investing actually, this might sound really weird, but actually becomes really fun and satisfying and it actually feels good. Uh, spending money feels good too, but saving money and dreaming about what it's going to do for you. And once you learn the beauty of compound interest and basic investing principles and see what your money could start to do over time by earning eight, nine, 10, 11%, it becomes just a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, it does. It will feel just as good as you getting your package on your porch, checking in on your investments is going to feel great. You know, it's just a different, more long-term way of doing it. You just have to wait for a minute, you know, a couple of months, a couple of years, and then you can kind of see that coming instead of waiting literally two days for your Amazon package. Just hold so off true. a little bit. But it will, like, it still is just as satisfying and happy. It's just like a long-term satisfaction, which is better in the long run, you know? It really is. And it does take some time to get there because when you're saving and investing, your first 10000 your first 100000 seems to take forever. But the more you get in there, the faster it compounds. And so... From zero to a hundred thousand takes forever, but one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand goes quite a bit faster than the first hundred thousand. And each step you take up, 
it, it goes faster and faster. That's just how compound interest works. You basically earn int interest on your interest. And so if you play around with a compound interest calculator, you'll realize that kind of it can really take off once it gets to a certain point. And, and the younger you start, I have to slip this in here before we end. So one of my big uh, passions is teaching parents to help their young children set up a Roth IRA. So if a child has a job of some kind or earned income, uh, they can be eligible for a Roth IRA and you can contribute up to $6,000 a year into one of those. And so for all of my boys who are all kind of from right now from 13 to 18, they all have a Roth IRA. And when they've worked, I've worked out deals with them so that I will match what they put in. And oh, so you're their employer. Kind yeah. Of. So they, they go earn money doing things and they say, Hey, I want to put this into my Roth. And I say, awesome. I, I will match that. And so as long as that match doesn't exceed how much they've made in the year, it's just a beautiful thing. And if a person can start young, like for example, a 20 year old who puts a dollar into their investment account, by the time they're 65, that money will compound 88 times over. And so if you start even younger than that, it's even a bigger multiplier. So there's these really cool statistics that say for people who invest from age 20 to 35 and then stop, uh, will have way more money than a person who starts at 35 and goes all the way to 65 investing that same amount of money just because they started 15 years earlier. And so teaching that to kids and helping your kids learn those kind of tools are really Roth IRAs are really easy to set up at Fidelity or Vanguard or Schwab. And it can be just such a cool tool to help your kids learn about saving and investing and compounding and to help them kind of, you know, jumpstart their future. This is genius. Well, it makes me think of that like life philosophy of sacrificing what you want in the moment for what you want long term. And I think if we, I mean, the kids we're raising now are definitely in the instant gratification world. And so if we can teach them these tools, I think that's going to serve so many kids well um, and ourselves like as we learn with them. Um, but yeah, I, lo I love that tip. It's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. And it's just something that like, I've noticed with my boys is they probably get a little tired of me talking about it. But as we talk about it and as we do it, they as they've grown older, they'll come to me and say, hey, I want to put this money into my Roth IRA. And so it's developed kind of that mindset in them of, hey, this money is going to be worth this much in this many years and they start to defer gratification and wait and instead of spending that money they want to invest it so it's just a cool principle not it only doesn't only apply to money but it just applies to life if we can teach our kids to pause and think and consider before they act it's not just a money lesson it's also a beautiful life lesson too I think from the things that you've taught us tonight, like what I've seen is that money is very tied to mental health in that there's like the same guiding principles, like the things that I teach my clients in the office are often like simplify, create structure, um, work on those like 
knee-jerk reactions and instead slow down and like think things through and that's kind of where a lot of happiness lies and so I think the same things go for money so well put and simplicity really does like it's a big mantra of mine simplicity I think is very connected to happiness because in today's world, we can go in so many different directions and have our minds on so many things. And just being able to kind of ruthlessly eliminate the unnecessary from our life and just keep the things that really matter to us, I think, can provide a contentment and peace that is just not available when we have so many irons in the fire. It's important to have boundaries and learn how to say no and learn how to cut things out and not have your kid in everything available under the sun. I see that so much. That's another yeah. way of keeping up with the Joneses. I got to have my kid in this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And I think it all goes back to their own childhood issues of wanting, you know, their kid to have everything they didn't have and to be able to have that image that my kid's doing all this. It's just like all this reminds me, it's just so important to see what our motives are and why we're doing what we're doing and honestly look within and ask for feedback from someone we really trust to kind of help us explore that topic. It's like you talked about with just being mindful, like figuring out why you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I I love the idea of simple life. I, I so agree. I think that's what people are craving and why people come to therapy is they're overwhelmed by all the noise and they just want to come to a quiet office and just like figure out how to simplify. So couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. One of your podcasts that you guys did on minimalism, I really loved because that's also another one of my kind of hobbies and interests. And I love that podcast. It was really insightful and helpful to, to kind of think about the connection between minimalism and mental health and how living a more minimalistic life in today's culture can really help us to feel better and feel better about ourselves and just feel better inside. I love it. I think there's a reason that is trendy right now. I think people are finding a lot of happiness in that lifestyle. So, well, thank you so much, Matt, for letting us pick your brain. And I could not recommend Matt's podcast enough. So it's Simple Money, Simple Life, and you can find it everywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can also find Matt on Instagram under Simple Money, Simple Life. And do you have other social media? That's it. That's good. Way to keep it simple. Uh, Keep it simple. Yes. (laughs) Way to do it. Go check out his podcast for more tips if this resonated with you. Thank you so much, KJ and Jessica. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. And um, I love listening to your podcast and keep it going. I'm learning a lot of fun stuff. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search ThoughtsPod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
All original music is composed by Milan Bryich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.